Good evening. Ah, you're not nice with me tonight. Too far. I feel I feel alone here. You know, maybe talking to the wall. I don't know. Family, guys. Family. We close together. We engage together. Um, I'm pleased to be with you tonight. Uh, as you remember, I'm not a product of Scotland, but of France. So that's why my accent is maybe difficult to understand, but I, I hope you will stay with me tonight. I, I'm delighted to be here because the text we're going to use tonight, it's one of my favorite uh, texts, but not for long, uh, from since long, sorry. Uh, this text is part of my, you know, books in the Bible. I wasn't keen to read too much until two years ago. Um, I don't know for you, but Leviticus, don't know if you spend a lot of time in his books. Chronicles, I don't know if you spend a lot. But for me, that was one guy in particular, um, known as the weeping prophet. Well, yes, that's the same. But the book of Jeremiah for me was, oh, if you wanted to depress or if you wanted to be you know, sad or see your life in the dark, you just read Jeremiah and that, that's you for a couple of weeks. And um, tonight I want to take you, that's really my will tonight, to take you in a journey to see the grace and the magnificence of this text. Because I believe that this text is so relevant for us today. But to take you 26 centuries ago, I need, I need you to bear with me for the context. We need to understand what is happening. So, I will tell you where I'm going to read in Jeremiah later. But you and I, we are in a journey. At that time, the people of God is in trouble. It's in trouble because they disobeyed God. Because they rejected God. And God said, that's enough. 200 years ago, before that... You know, remember when the northern kingdom disappeared? Assyrian came, destroyed everything, Samaria, disappeared. And we tend to forget that this kingdom is the bigger one between the two kingdoms. That's almost ten tribes disappeared like that. Then the little one, little kingdom, uh, Judah, still here but in a problematic place. It's a small kingdom with the big Egypt, with the big Babylonians, the big Assyrian, weak Assyrian at the time, but there's all these powerful nations around, and this little Judah. And then God is speaking, and He's saying, that's enough, even here, you're still continuing to reject me, so I will punish you, using these people to take you away. And I like... Paul's view on that. Yeah, Paul, from the New Testament, view on this kind of mindset. Paul, chapter 1, Romans, chapter 1, verse 21 and 23. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Yes, I know this text is more a broader sense. 
in Romans. But that's exactly where the people of God were at the time of Jeremiah. They were blind, foolish. They reject their own God. And when God said, it's enough, that's enough. You know, for centuries, these people tried to have a land, the promised land, a place to stay. And now God is saying, no more kingdoms. Northern, destroy. Southern, I'm going to destroy it. The city, Jerusalem, the city of God, destroyed. The temple, destroyed. The people of God, scattered. And more importantly, the presence of God, disappeared. That's the context of our text tonight. You need to have this context of complete chaos. Complete chaos. You cannot imagine a world darker than this situation. That's not possible. And in this darkness, God will speak. And God will give hope. Hope for salvation. And I'm amazed to see this text in Jeremiah. Mainly because we, you and I, we know Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. But these three chapters, 30 to 33, are known to be the book of consolation. The book where God is going to speak and give hope for His people. The last context I want to give you is, I know Jeremiah is in the middle of the Old Testament, but time-wise, chronologically, Exactly, this word. This is the exil, is the last event before Christ. So if you want to understand in what context Christ arrived, we need to understand that. What is the exile about? Why Jeremiah is saying all this judgment, all this condemnation about people, and not just the people of God, by the way. Well, what is interesting is to read this text. Five little verses tonight. Not a long text, but how much we are going to take from this text. I'm in Jeremiah 31, and I'm Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34. Jeremiah is saying to us, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will not be like the covenant, it will not be like the covenant, sorry, I made with the ancestors when I took them by the end to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. And I'm impressed by this text because, as you know, I'm French. So when I read in English, and I want to try to understand the text, I need to be careful of the structure. And God bless Jeremiah for that. Because the text is well structured. Amazingly structured. 
Because when you look at the text, you ask questions like when, how, and why. And Jeremiah is asking, is answering this question right at the beginning. The when, for instance. When? Well, the days are coming, he says. So, I agree with you. That's not helping for them at the time. But for us, we know. We know which are the days he's talking about here. The days of Jesus. That's obvious, but we have the New Testament. Not so obvious for them. But this prophecy is a promise, an announcement to the time to come. There will be a time of restoration. And that's what we want to grasp. We don't know when or where. They don't know when. But there will be a time of restoration. The when is certain. There is hope. They will trust God again. God is not going to let them alone. Then God, through Jeremiah, is giving the how. How am I going to make this new covenant? Well, first and foremost, to whom is going to make the new covenant? Here in the text we have the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Well, let me interpret here for us tonight. I believe that God is not talking about Judah and Israel in his mind of remembering the divided kingdom, but rather to talk about another kingdom, the United Kingdom. That's a joke. (laughs) Thanks. The United Kingdom, because I believe when you read Jesus talking about the kingdom of God coming on earth, that's exactly this kingdom, the kingdom, united kingdom of God. Coming on earth, working for God. That's why in this verse he's using Judah and Israel. Because the restoration will be full. Complete. But this time, this time, because we are in the question how, human beings are not going to be involved as such. And we will come back to that. Because in the law of the Old Testament, you see... If you want to go and ask forgiveness for God, you need to take a sheep, an animal, and go and sacrifice this animal with the priest involved, with the Levite involved, with maybe the high priest, with all a cohort of person to do that. Here in the new covenant, no. How is going to make the covenant? God himself is going to make the covenant. Now the why. That's where it began interesting for us. I know it's a lot of context to get to the point. But why God is going to have a new covenant? Well, a short answer that's written in the text. Because the people of God broke the old one. There is no more covenant between humanity and God. So God, in this context, will say, I will bring a new covenant. Because you need a new covenant. And God at this stage is disappointed. How do we know that? In the text is remembering us, reminding us that I saved you already. Remember Egypt. You were slaved. I saved you. I give you hope. I give you my law. I ask you to follow me. And you rejected me. And you, the result of that is to coming back in slavery again. The first kingdom is in slavery in Assyria. The second one is going soon in Babylon. You never understood. That's why I need a new covenant. But the one, the covenant you will never be able to break. Because I'm doing this covenant to you. 
God, more than disappointed, is betrayed. You see, this text is showing us the heart of God. God is holy, but God is love. That's why we are hope. And when I talk about the God is betrayed, it's because He used the word, the image of marriage. I was your husband. And you rejected me. You see, only a heart wounded like that can express this sentence, can say that. I was your husband. And you, you know, abandoned me. The people of God left God. Not God. And He will provide the solution to bring back His people to Him. Which is that. We want to be in the presence of God. He wants to be with us. And this new this solution is the new covenant. And this new covenant is simple. As I said, Jeremiah is well structured. And he gives us five I will. Five I will from God. First one is, I will put my law in their minds. What do you want to express here, God? What is the purpose of that? Well, we use our mind for everything. We use our mind to do everything. And I will put my law in their minds. You will breathe, breathe with my law. Everything you will do, that will be with my law. And maybe this, in modern day we can say, how much time do we spend with God? You know, how much time do we spend to read the Word? To be immersed in the presence of God, in your mind. The, the, the way you think is that with God. But God is precise. It's continuing. This one I will. I will write it on their heart. There is a specific place for God to put His law. That's our heart. Now, in the Bible, heart is not the muscle. It's not the beaten, you know. That's not this. In the Bible, the heart is where you take your decision. It's where you're making your decision. And God is saying here, I will write my law on their heart. Why? Well, there is a change here in covenant. The older covenant was an external covenant. When you go to the temple to meet God, you go with your sheep, with your pigeon, with your bird, whatever you need. Sacrifice them to offer blood. Leviticus 17, there is life in the blood. We offer the blood so we can ask forgiveness. But now God is saying, Milo will be in your heart. So I'm looking, in, I'm looking inside, no externally. And Jesus again will confirm that. Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder external action. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry, internal action, with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus confirmed Jeremiah's new covenant. Following God is not anymore about process, external process. But it's something about what's happening in your heart. What's happening inside. It's important to understand that because in the Old Testament, God's law was written on tablet stones and those stones were placed in the Ark of the Covenant. And this Ark was placed in the Temple. I said that to express that if you want to meet God, 
You need to find His law. Where God's law is, you will find God. With this idea in your mind, and you read now the I will, if the law of God is in my heart, get where is God? In me. You see, we are in Jeremiah's time, sorry. But we see that God wants to dwell in us already at that time. And I, I, I believe that that always has been the plan of God since the creation to live in us in perfect harmony with us. We are the one who rejected God saying, no, no, we, we want to be our own God. I want to take this fruit in the Garden of Eden because I want to know the good and bad. I want to decide for myself. We rejected this perfect relationship with God. But look what God is continuing to say. I will be their God. And they will be my people. He wants relationship with us. And this relationship will be accessible for everyone. Look at what he said. They will all know me. No one on earth can claim to not know God. And I, I rediscover this truth again in Romans. Again in Romans 1. You know, with all this discourse we have outside the church about apologetics, the defense of the faith, claiming that we can argue and give evidence that God exists. But the thing is, if you do that, who is the judge? The judge is the person who is waiting evidence. If I believe that, that they will all know me, if I believe Romans 1 saying that all known, all have the possibility to know God just in creation. So in fact, everybody knows that God exists. They just refuse to see it. They just reject God. That's the problem. That was the problem at the time as well. But that's still the problem nowadays. And this is the new covenant. Relationship with God. But remember the context. Because if you ask a Jewish person in Assyrian or Babylonian kingdom, do you have a relationship with God? His reaction or answer straightforward will be, I can't. There is no more the temple. I can't have a relationship with God. Where I'm going with my sheep? Where I'm going with my bird? Where I'm going? I can't. But yet, in the text, God is saying, yeah, you will have. I will be your God. And you will be my people. And you understood clearly where I'm going with that. We have a problem of holiness. If you look from God. Or a problem of sin. If you look from us. But the question of sins need to be dealt in this new covenant. Well, guess the next I will. I will forgive their iniquity. Isn't that amazing? In the new covenant, God is taking care of every aspect of the covenant, a perfect relationship with Him. And here maybe what is more impressive for us is, uh, before this new covenant, the people of God gathered and go to the temple all together. The people of God came with the sheep and animals to sacrifice them. The Levite, the priest, high priest, it was a, a people thing. To come in front of God. Not in the new covenant. 
in the new covenant, because we know now that's not external but internal, in the new covenant it's personal. Individual will approach God. Individual will talk to God. Individual will have a relationship with God. And I think in our churches nowadays, we stop here. The message of the gospel. Because that's clearly the message of the gospel. We stopped here and we forgot the next bit. I will remember these things no more. You see, in the context, in this chaos, chaos, God is saying, I will forgive and I will not remember. I don't know for you, for me, this text is just amazing. Because the God we are seeing here in the text is them today. It's exactly the same. And when He gave us five I will, because that's still the new covenant today. Because this new covenant is personified in the person of Jesus. I will put in your mind my law. I will write in your heart my law. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will forgive sin. And I will remember this no more. Why? Because I want this relationship with you. You see, every single people on earth who claim that God is far away, or maybe it doesn't exist, we should say to these people, stand firm in front of them, no, God wants a relationship with you, with His creature. He created us for that. Here I have a certainty of my hope. It's permanent. You know why? Because I, c- I can't break it. In the past, the people broke the old covenant. Not in this one. Guess why God never involved the people, the human being in the new covenant? Because we were able maybe to break it again. Not this one. This one will never be broken. You can try hard to break this one, but you can't because that's not your work. That's not my work. This is the work of Christ, Jesus Christ. So in all of that, what you should take with you tonight is the question, who is acting here? Who is the main actor in this text? Well, I will help you. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Guess who is the main actor in the text? God. God is doing everything here. God is here with us tonight and He promised that to us. And you know what? Not only it was a promise at the time, but today we know that this promise has happened in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is wonderful and magnificent because He represents these five I will. He is the proof of these five I will. And we know that because you and I, we have the Spirit of God in us. We know that Jesus is the only way to the Father. John 14.6 is the way. Again, who is the main actor in the process of salvation? God. But the thing is, God is in control. Despite the circumstances. And I, and I addressed the context because I, I would like us to understand 
they were completely in their mind that was the end of the world. Everything they believed in, everything they were trusting, was destroyed. And in the midst of that, God stands and He said, I will. I will give you hope. You know why? Because I'm God. Because I care for you. Because I love you. Because you're my people. And when I look at this church tonight, this is exactly what I want to give you. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know what you've been through. But God is saying to us, stand firm in front of us, I will. I will. Despite what you do, despite what your circumstance, I will write my law in your heart. Be with you. You will be my people. I will forgive your sin. And what is interesting in this text is, Jeremiah wants to show that to us. And after the verse 34, we don't have time to read all of that, but there is a wee poetic section. You can read that at home tonight. A wee poetic section. And this poetic section is showing basically that God is in control. Who created everything? God. Who is managing this I will? God. Who is doing this new covenant? God. And I'm just amazed because at the end of the chapter, if you followed what I said until now, that was relevant for them 400 years before Christ. That was relevant when Christ arrived. Could you imagine a disciple of Christ just after the resurrection reading again this text? Could you imagine the, the click in the head? Like, oh, that's God. He said that 400 years ago. Exactly what Jesus is doing. Could you imagine Paul in prison reading again Jeremiah? So, but that's exactly what God is doing now. That's exactly this five I will is this new covenant. Jesus, by the way, claimed to be the new covenant. His blood is the new covenant that in Luke during the, the last meal. But that was relevant for the Christian at the time of Jesus, early church. That's relevant for us, as I said. We understand right when I say I, I will write my law in your heart, you understood the image of the Holy Spirit coming to us. Judge 14, you're not alone. I give you the helper. We know that, that's relevant here. But you know what? It's also relevant for the future. Which is amazing. We are in Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is saying something at the end of this chapter. The same thing you will find in Revelation. At the end of Revelation. You see, God wants so much to be with us. That He's going to prepare a place for us. That's John 14. I will come and take you to this place. But at the end of Jeremiah, he, Jeremiah is describing a city, a real city, the city of God, the place where God will be with His people. And that's, that's an image we have in our head about Revelation. You know the cubic sea of the perfect city? And in Jeremiah's temp, time, sorry, there were also... He was also claiming that they will not, there is no temple. In the future city, there is no temple. Jesus is saying that, I am the temple. So there is no need of temple. In Revelation, there is no need of temple anymore. We need to understand that God wants so much 
this relationship, it's because He wants to be with us. He wants to be in us, and He wants to be with us. So I leave you again with this five I will. And I invite you to read the text, the old chapter 31 at least, if you want to grasp this idea. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. You know what this text is telling me at the end? It forgive everything because of my accent or because you're tired or because I was rubbish. If you forgot everything about tonight, remember that God, we can trust God. Because when God speaks, it's happening. When God promises, He will do it. When God said, I will, well, guess why? He did. So we can trust God. He is real. He is alive. This is the living word of God. Living because of that. Because everything in it is true. The truth of God. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we want to thank you again for this freedom to come together. This freedom to be with you in your presence. The joy to be your people. The joy to have this relationship with you. You put it our law, your law in us. Because you want to be with us. You want this relationship. And yet we are not perfect. To be with you. We needed Jesus Christ. We needed the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are your family now. We are your friends. Your followers. And we want to pray, Lord, that you help us to understand that. To apply that in our lives. To live this reality of being part of your people. In your precious name, Lord. Amen.